Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities Good morning. by replicating followers. Hey, before we get into the message this morning, we have a baby dedication this morning. So I want to call the Hyden family come up here this morning. Hyden's come up. I know my wife's supposed to be over here. Come on this side. I don't know where Julie's at. Julie, if you're watching online in the children's ministry, you know where you're supposed to be. <laughs> Come on in, guys. Come on in. Hey, guys, I'm so excited. Pastor Brent and, and Amanda and little Ezekiel here. What's up, man? <laughs> hey, guys, we, um, we don't practice infant baptism. We practice baby dedication. And in the scriptures, when um, Jesus was born, they brought him into the temple to be dedicated. And, uh, and it was eight days after he was born and they laid hands on him and uh, they dedicated him and they gave thanks to God for the little one. And uh, <laughs> there's, there's a delay on the Facebook. Oh, there's a delay on the Facebook, okay. <laughs> slide, slide to the other side. So, uh, so we just want to take a moment. First of all, we know that this one is a, is a miracle baby. For those that... For, for the those that don't know the story, the doctor said that Amanda could never have any children. But God is bigger than the doctors. God is bigger than any of those things. And so we, we want to celebrate, celebrate this, little, this little life and what God has. He's created a mother. It's, it's a miracle, and we want to pray for that. We want to honor God in that. So let's just pray. Um, Julie, will you pray, and then I'll close the prayer. Let's pray. God, we are in awe of you. We're so thankful. Lord, we're so thankful. You heard our many, many prayers, and in your right timing, you said yes. We thank you for this sweet, precious Ezekiel. Lord, we thank you for all that he represents. He represents faith, waiting on you, believing in you. He represents love, his love from the love from you and the love for his parents. And Lord, we pray that this child would grow up in the ways of you. We pray that you would make his heart tender to your word. Lord, that he would have a heart that would want to obey you, God. We thank you that the faith of a child is a powerful and strong thing. And we pray that that faith would continue to grow with him into adulthood that he would be a strong man of God, a man after your heart, Lord. And we pray for his parents, God, as they raise him up, would you give them wisdom, discernment, boldness to parent in this day and age. God, would they listen to your voice and follow hard after you. Help them, God, as they are in the ministry to be able to remember that their first ministry is to one another and to this child, God. And Lord, that they would teach their son to serve you, to love you, and to follow you. Watch over them and protect them as they do this in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you again for this morning. Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given this family, but it comes out of faithfulness. Father, it comes out of worship. Father, I know Brandon and Amanda love you and honor you, have sacrificed themselves to serve you and given themselves unto you. And when men said no, you said yes. Father, we hold on to the promises of your word, Lord. We hold on to the truth of your, that you're a faithful God. And we've seen your faithfulness on this family. Lord, we pray for Ezekiel this morning. We pray just a call on his life, Lord. Father, that he would grow up to know you, he would grow up to love you. He would grow up to seek you. And Father, he has a prophetic name from a prophet. And Father, you set him apart for that. We ask that this morning. That Father, when he gets older, Lord, he'll know your voice only. Not the voices of this world, not the voices of philosophy, not the voices of the media, but the voice that comes from the scriptures, from your truth. And so I pray your hand upon him, Lord. Lord, I pray your hand upon this family as they raise them. 
for that I know their house that serves the Lord. And Lord, I ask your hand of protection. And Lord, Father, this child be known as a faithful servant, as the one who loves you. That will be his story. That will be his narrative. That's what people will know him for. And so I redo this body, this family, this community. Praise for this family as they serve you. And we get to watch him grow up, Lord. We'll get to see the work of God in him and through him. We give you all glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Hey guys, if you haven't signed up already, I just want to remind you that we do still have room for the men's retreat and the women's retreat. So you heard the advertisement there, but I want to encourage you to, if you haven't, to, to jump on and be a part of that. It's a great opportunity for you to grow in the faith, to get away, to seek the Lord, to be in community, to be with other people that you can grow and get to know people. I don't just want you to be a people that just comes in on Sunday and leaves. I want you to be a people that get to know each other. Because that's what we're called to. We're called to this community of faith to know one another. Because that's what families do. They get to know one another. And so if you're trying to hide out a new vision, coming and go, it's going to be very difficult. We're going to call you out. <laughs> so you can be in, that, in the midst of that. Amen? If you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter. We're continuing on through the Gospel of John. My sermon title is called Self-Defense, the first part. We're looking at the first part this morning. And then finish off the chapter next week as we look at the second part. Right. You often heard the term self-defense. In fact, the, the meaning is defined as the defense of one's person or interest, especially through the use of physical force, which is permitted in certain cases as an answer to a charge of violent crimes. In fact, self-defense is permitted when one's life feels threatened or at risk of harm. We are all prone when we are under attack. You only have to turn on the news to see what we see today. And we can read the stories of those who had brought on self-defense. We're coming to the story and the part in the story. We know that Jesus just healed a man on the Sabbath. And because he healed the man on the Sabbath, there were some verbal assaults that would come upon him and that the religious leaders would begin to prey on him and persecute him for what the work that he had done. And they were persecuted to the point that they wanted to, to kill him. But Jesus gives a defense of himself for the work of God. He doesn't use bodily force to defend himself, but the truth of who he is and who he knows. In fact, chapter 5 ends with a monologue to defend himself from the violent work of the Jewish religious leaders. Chapter 5 opened up with a miracle. The miracle of the man who was at the pool that Jesus said to rise take up your pallet and walk. And because of this miracle, after being a paralytic for 38 years, he heals a man on the Sabbath. And because he heals a man on the Sabbath, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees, they get upset because they believe he violated the law as he was carrying his mat. Refusing to celebrate the miracle, they curse the man and they curse Jesus for doing a work on a Sabbath day. Sometimes God's healing work will only make things worse. I want you to hear that, okay? I think of the work of Jesus when he, he came to heal the, the demonic in the Gadarenes. If you know the story, they, they travel across the Sea of Galilee and they go to this place of the tombs where they would cast out the misfits, the, 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 those that were the derelicts of the, of the world. And this specific man had a demon possession in him and nobody could confine him. They, he would, they say that he would scream to the moon. He would cry out like a wild man and they would even gaffle him up with chains that he was so strong in his demonic form that he would actually break the chains because nobody could contain him. But when Jesus comes on the scene, even the demonic knew who Jesus was. And then Jesus 
heals the demonic and brings them into his right mind. He, he casts out the demons and the whole city has watched this and seen the transformation of this man who comes to Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, no, you go back to your family. And what begins to happen is because he does this great work, Jesus, the city got afraid of Jesus. And they asked him to leave that city. You would think they would celebrate the work of this miracle, and yet they casted him out. They rejected him, and they came against him. You kind of see this similar thing happening in this story. Jesus does this great work, this great miracle, and all of a sudden, he's got a bullseye on his back. He is a marked man for the rest of his life. Let's read the story starting at verse... 16, I'm sorry. It says, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, my father has been working until now and I've been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all more to kill him because he's not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son that all shall honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given the authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have, gone, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Father heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for the reading of the word. And Lord, I just pray that as we've read these verses, they're printed in red letters in our Bibles because those are the words of Jesus. Father, we pray we would heed his words. Father, he begins to give a defense of his own relationship he had with his father. In light of the Jewish leaders that wanted to kill him, he's given a defense of who he is and who you are. Father, may we get clarity to understand who God is this morning because I think there's a confusion in our world about who you are and what you came to do. Lord, I pray for the blessings of the reading of the word because you said there is a blessing when we hear your word. And I pray your blessings upon your people in the hearing the word, that you have washed them in the word and that you have sanctified them with your word. And I pray now that we have understanding of your word. That, Father, the word is not like water off of duck backs, but that, Father, the word will be penetrating to the heart and the mind. I pray for these things, believing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We're going to look at a couple of things this morning as Jesus begins to give a defense of why he did what he did on the Sabbath. Number one, we know that Christ can be controversial. The person of Christ can be controversial in our society and in our culture, right? Today is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers out there, right? And we're here to honor you. So what we have for you is when you exit, we're going to have a flower for you. And we're going to have some desserts after church for you just to honor you, to thank you, just to recognize you uh, this morning. But we know in June, it's Father's Day, right? And so we celebrate the Father's Day. We don't leave the fathers out. We do mothers first because women go first. And then we do the fathers. We celebrate the fathers, right? But I think there's something important and valuable when we honor our mothers and our fathers. In fact, Paul writes in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, 2 and 3, says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on earth. We see Paul gives a command to do something with a promise. Honor your parents, honor your mom, honor your father, and with that you'll have long life, which I believe is quality of life, when you do these very things. In chapter 5, we see Jesus honoring his father 
with his service. We see the relationship between Jesus and his father was intimate. It was tight. They were, were one. You're going to see that in the descriptions as he begins to share with the religious leaders about his own relationship. We know that the Bible is about relationship, specific our relationship with God. The gospel is relational. The gospel is about reconciliation, about restoration, about reconciling our relationship back to God when it got severed and it got broken. It's all about relationships. The fall is about a severed relationship. Sin can disrupt our relationship with God and, and each other. So God the Father sent his son to be the mediator to restore our relationship back with God and each other. This is really the message of the Bible. It's about reconciliation. That's what it's all about, right? In fact, God broke his Sabbath to search for Adam and Eve after they sinned. Why? Because he was more concerned about their welfare than his rest. In the story of the healing of the paralytic, we find there is a conflict between Christ and the religious Jews of the day. But Jesus' relationship with his father was still a hatred for Jesus among the Jews. What was the problem? What was the controversy? What was the conflict? Number one, controversy about his service on the Sabbath. It's about his healing on the Sabbath. Look at verses 16 and 17. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now. I have been working. Here's the first reason for the hatred was the healing of the Sabbath. Was he was doing ministry, right? He comes and he heals the man who had been ill for 38 years. And now because he heals this man, he becomes the object of the persecution. The religious lady hated him so much because he violated the law. He violated the Sabbath. They were so held on to the law so hard that they'd rather see a man sick than be healed on the Sabbath. They put the Sabbath before man, but man was made. The Lord should be the honored on the Sabbath, not oppressed on the Sabbath, right? The word, in fact, the word, Persecution, it says here for this year, Jesus persecuted you. The word persecute means to be mistreated, to be hated. They, they hated him enough to want to kill him. They, they sought to kill him. They, they begin to think of a plan, a premeditated plan to kill Jesus. Guys, our time period here is about 18 months before he goes to the cross by this time. They wanted to kill him for being kind. <laughs> Think about that for a moment, right? And for 18 months, they harassed him until he went to the cross. For 18 months, they pursued a, a means and a way to get him killed. Can you imagine what hatred and bitterness can do in our life? Unforgiveness. It can, it can root up a root of bitterness and hatred. Jesus, when he was speaking on the Beatitudes and, and on the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about even if you hate your brother, it's as if you've committed murder already. They have already violated the law, thou shalt not kill. Just by the hatred in their heart, they already violated the law. Come on, come on. But they were holding, oh, we didn't kill. You know, they wanted to kill him, but even on the crucifixion, they wanted to wash their hands of it. <laughs> but what you see here is their heart is the wickedness and the hatred of their own heart. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who knows it? The intentions of our, what's own, in our own heart. That's why the Bible said to love God with all our heart. God wants to transform us from within because he knows what can happen if we don't and what could come out of that. But we also see in verse 17 that Jesus is collaborating with the Father, right? My Father works so I work, right? We know that Jesus has been involved in the work of God since the beginning because in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was at the beginning of creation. Jesus had been already doing the work of the Father in partnership with the Father. He was part of the collaboration of the creation. He was there from the very beginning. See, we know when we go back to Genesis that God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. It doesn't mean that he had stopped doing any work, but he took pleasure in the work. And he took, he took pleasure and joy in the work. And he rested in the work and it was pleasurable. God is still working today. 
He's keeping order in the world. He's, he's placing the sun at the right distance so we don't burn up or we don't freeze to death. He keeps the boundary of the ocean so we don't have floods. God is still working today. Because he holds everything in place. Have you ever worked on a project that took that deep breath when you're done and looked at all that you accomplished and you took pleasure in it? Right? You rested in your work. You rested in the things that you were created in. Jesus took pleasure and was satisfied with the work of healing. There was a, a sense of delight. There was a sense of, of joy. Even in the, his creation, he, first he said it was good, and then when he finished it, it was very good when he created man. He took pleasure in the things that he accomplished. My challenge this morning is may we, may we take pleasure in the work that God is doing in us and through us? Because we find great joy in that. We find joy in the work that God is doing in that. When you look at the story, the, the Jewish leaders weren't joyful. They were angry. They were bitter. And they were hateful. Right? That's what the law will do. That's what legalism would do. That's when you live your life in the black and the white, the do's and the don'ts. It will oppress you. It'll make you bitter. It'll make you angry. It'll make you judgmental. That's what, that's what the law will do because that's what's happening. They're making judgment about who Jesus is by what he did. They worship the law, but they didn't worship the creator of the law. <laughs> you look out through all the story, there were many gracious moments throughout the Old Testament. You know, David went into the temple to get some bread when he was hungry. He shouldn't have done that, but he did, right? There's the law, then there's the spirit of the law. What was the intention of the law? You know what the intention of the law was that he said in this moral code for us? But more than that, it was to show us how much we really needed God. Amen. Right? Do not steal. You ever stole before? Yes. Do not lie. You ever lied? Yes. You ever lusted? Yes. The Bible says if you lie still and lust, you will not enter the kingdom of God. In your own heart, did you raise your hand? Because some of you didn't raise your hand when I said it. <laughs> right? But the law, the law condemns me. But Jesus saves me. See, the law condemns me, but his love for the cross saves me. They were stuck on the law. They weren't stuck on the law of love. And then they missed the mark, right? The Bible says in Ephesians, Paul writes that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works with God prepared before that we should walk in these things, right? We are God's poema. We are God's poem, his creation, his spoken word. And God takes pleasure in us, and he's satisfied with what he's created, and we are created to, to bless others, to love our neighbors, right? Even our enemies. So we see Jesus collaborated with the, the Father. We are to do the same, looking out for the, the interests of others. I'm not saying you don't take a sabbatical. I'm not saying that you don't take a rest. We are to have a rest. We are to that's why we have the weekends. You work five days and you get two days off from work. There's a, a form of sabbatical even built into our culture. I'm not saying that you take it all the time because some of you guys are workaholics. You like to work through the weekends. But there is a time of rest. There is a time of sabbatical. You know, he says, you know, do not forsake the, the Sabbath. Do not neglect the Sabbath. Even in the Ten Commandments, we know that it's, it's written there. Julie and I are going to take a sabbatical this summer. Many of you know that. We're going to be gone for three months. We're going to get away not because we don't love you, it's because we do love you. <laughs> what I mean by that is that I'm finding rest to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, what's next for New Vision? Because I got to hear from the Lord. I got to get away and sit at his feet. I got away and have time with him because I get busy just like you get busy. And I can get about the business of the work that I forget about hearing from the Lord. And so we're going to get a way to do that. And our team's going to be here and they're going to shepherd you and they're going to teach. You're going to hear from all the pastors as they teach on Sunday morning as we continue to the gospel of John. But this is necessary that we can stay healthy and take the next step as a church as I come back and share where we go from here. That's the process. You see, Jesus took sabbaticals. He took rest up the way to be with his father. He did that often. You don't hear that in the relationship here when we continue on with that. But we know that there was a controversy with his confession. Look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, so that was the first thing that got him mad. He also said that God with his father making himself equal with God. 
That was the second reason why they wanted to persecute him, kill him. Because he said he was God. The, 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 the religious leaders clearly understood the meaning of his statements. Saying that God was his father. They knew the implications of that statement. They knew exactly what he, he was saying and what he was implying. We believe in a triune God. That's who we serve and worship in the Bible. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Amen. Not all faiths believe that. Come on. Not all people that claim to be religious, however, believe that. Some believe that Jesus is Satan's brother. Some believe that Jesus is a good man or a prophet. In fact, the phrase making himself equal with God when he made that statement, Jesus said that, it's a present perfect tense verb, meaning Jesus was continually making himself equal with God. Jesus shared in the Father's divine nature. He had a DNA of a deity. That's who he was. The disciples also believed this. Thomas, when he touched his hand, said, my Lord and my God. John, who wrote this book in 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. Peter called him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Each of the disciples made their own confessions and believed Jesus to be God. Anyone who desires, denies that is not of God, John will later write in 1st John. And when he proclaimed this and they heard this, look at the intensity of their hatred. It just escalated. It just escalated, right? Because of these two things of what he did, the healings and, and his claims, they were more eager to kill him. They were more motivated. The, the intensity of the hatred heated up. As far as the religious leaders were concerned, Jesus' claims were blasphemous. Then Jesus brings a defense for his actions. Here's the second thing you were taking notes. Christ clarifies his relationship with the Father in John 5, 19 to 23. Do you, have any, do you any of you here drive stick shifts? The old sticks? You know, I remember when I first, my first, one of my first cars was 1967 VW. I love VWs. You guys know, I told a story a lot about VWs. I used to fix them up. I took them out, selected drops, one with the piece kits. Me, me, I, when I dated Julie, I first started dating Julie, I had a 1967 turquoise blue low rotter drop sunroof, and I used to cruise up by Laguna Beach to take her out because I was trying to impress her. <laughs> but I remember when I first got my first VW and I had to learn to drive a stick. And it's hard when you don't know what to do. And, you're, and you're, you're putting it in gear and you're trying to drive it. I remember I was in high school. My brother was in the seat. He was eating a carne asada breakfast burrito or something. We were driving to high school going to play a football game. And I was like, <laughs> doing all this stuff. And by the time we got to the school, like the burrito was all over him. And, 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 and the reality of it is, is when you drive a stick, there's a clutch. And there's like these two wheels inside your car. When you open up, they're spinning like this. Right? And when you open up, they open up, they're spinning, and then you put it into gear. And what they do is they catch and they make you go to the next gear to go far, farther and faster and move, get power. So, but if you don't catch it the right time, you grind it. So if you can't find it, you grind it. You know what I mean? You know that term? I want to tell you something that Jesus and the Father, they're in sync. And they have power. And they move. Some of you haven't been in sync with God. And you're grinding your relationships, you're grinding your marriages, you're grinding things in life, and you just can't seem to get in sync. But listen, Jesus is modeling a relationship between the Father and Son that we can see because that's the same relationship that we're called to have so that we can be in sync. So we can move forward without spilling and clutching and double clutching and all those different things. What do we see here first? Jesus emulates his Father. Look at verses 19 and 20. Then Jesus answered and said, The most assuredly I see to the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees his Father do, for what he does, the Son does in the like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. What is he modeling here? What is he saying? Number one, Jesus emulates his dependence upon his Father. Sticking close to a Father. Being next to the Father. He opens up this verse by saying, most assuredly. In your, some of your Bibles might say, verily, verily. That, that word means, I want to tell you the truth. 
What we see here is Jesus has this abiding relationship with his papa, with his daddy. He didn't do anything independent of the father. He was fully committed himself to the will of the father. He had a dependent, or should I say, a healthy codependent relationship with his father. We are all called to the same relationship with God, with our father. To have a deep, loving relationship with him. In fact, speaking to the Jews, Jesus was speaking to the Jews in John chapter 8, he says this, if God were your father, look at, because he has a relationship with his father, he's using that example, if God is your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. If you understand this relationship, you wouldn't be hating on me because you understand my father. Because you don't understand the father, you're haters. Jesus is calling them out, you're haters. And he's given a self-defense of that. So he, he emulates the dependency upon his father, the, the sticking close to the father. Here's the second thing. Jesus emulates the work of the father, the father's work. We said in verse 19, right? He only did what his father did. If you love me, you obey my commands. Jesus says that. If you love me, you'll do what I do. Throughout John's gospel, he'll keep reiterating reiterating Jesus' desire to do the work of his Father. He keeps reminding, you'll see that throughout the gospel. Hey, I only do the work of the Father. I only do the work of the Father. Me and the Father are one. If you know me, you know the Father. He keeps saying these things throughout the gospel. And the closer we draw to God, the more desire we want to do his work. I think that's why John, is also known as the beloved, rested his head on the bosom of Jesus. Because he saw this modeled... Jesus loved his father and he wanted to love Jesus because he saw that modeled. May we draw close to God's bosom, draw close to him. And Jesus is loved by the father. We see that in verse 20. This is not an employer-employee relationship. This is not a master-slave relationship. This is a love relationship between father and the son because love binds them. John is the only, John only, only repeating what he said about his relationship back way back in John 3.35. He already talked about the Father loving him. God the Father is always affirming God the Son. Again, you're just seeing this love relationship, right? How powerful will it be, parents, if we keep affirming our love for our children, our love for our kids, that we keep saying, good job, well done. Affirming our children, right? Maybe the insecurities, the fears, the doubts, the depression just might disappear if our kids knew we loved them. The power of a word, it was a word that he brought creation and let there be light and there was light. The power of our words, our words are called either to build up or tear down, but there's power in the words. There's power in God's word. That's why we need it to build up our life, to edify the body, to build it up. But you know what our relationship with God will do? It'll give, her, give us deeper revelations of who he is and what he wants to do. He'll show us deeper things. Yes. He'll show us bigger things. He'll reveal all those things if we just give him a tithe, right? We see in, in, in the passage, God the Father will show Jesus supernatural things. He will show him his plan and his purpose, even that he was going to go to the cross. He will, he will show them greater works. Why? Because there are more works to come as you continue on through the gospel of John, right? We saw him turn the water. He just opened up with a little water and wine, right? At the beginning, at Cana of Galilee. And then, and then he healed a nobleman's son. And then he heals the man at the palace. You get to chapter six, which will be in two weeks, right? He's feeding 5,000 people. By the time you journey in, now he's raising people from the dead. Lazarus, the, the, the widow's son, right? Jairus' daughter. The miracles start getting bigger and crazier. Greater works he's going to see. He goes, it ain't even started yet. You're just watching the sneak previews right now. You ain't seen the main events. Ultimately, the main event is going to be his resurrection. That's going to be the main story. That's going to be the main line. That's going to be the main narrative. When you put your faith in the fact that 
Jesus and the Father are one. In John 14, 11 to 12, he, he talks about how I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. He says, most assuredly, verily, verily, cast his truth. I say to he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. A greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. I, I hope you caught that. You know what he's saying? If you believe the fact that me and the Father are one and we do great works, he says, you, as you abide in him, will even do greater works. We doubt that. We don't believe that. We don't believe that God has positioned us and given us authority, given us the supernatural divine power to do great works. We don't have enough faith sometimes to say, let's just step out and do this. He's, he's given a, a promise. Sometimes we read those things and we just glance over them. He told Nathaniel in John chapter 1, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Alluding to the work he's going to continue to do. Guys, I want to see great works in our church. I mean, Ezekiel is a great work. A miracle work. Amen. God wants to do great works. He wants to do miracles. We got to trust him for the mystery. You know what? We can't have unbelief in the house. We can't have unbelief in the house. You know why? When, when Jesus went to uh, Jairus' uh, uh, to heal his daughter, when they got there already, there were mourners already there crying and weeping and she's dead and all these different things. And then he came into the room and he brought Peter, James, and John with him. You know what the first thing he did? He kicked everybody out of the house. He said, get out and removed them. She's not dead. You know why? Because I can't have unbelief in the house. There's a miracles that take place, but I don't want unbelief in the house. God says, I have great miracles for you guys, but don't doubt me. Even when it looks impossible. Even when there's 5,000 people that we got to feed, but I only have five, 12 cats and a little bit of panduce and some fish, and I got to give it out. Who's going to feed 5,000 people with 12 men? Don't underestimate the natural and the supernatural coming together. Don't ever underestimate it. You can't explain it. Man says it can't, but God says it can't because with God, all things are possible. I want you to hold on to that truth there. Here's another thing. Jesus has been positioned through the work of the Father. We see that in 21 to 23. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so Son gives life to him who he wills. For the Father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. A couple of things here. Verse 21, we see Jesus is the giver of life right? Jesus will provide a spiritual life. I was dead in my trespasses of sin, but he made me alive, Ephesians writes, right? He's awakened me from my sleep. I think he's talking about spiritual, spiritual resurrection here, because he'll talk about physical resurrection in a moment. He's talking about how the first resurrection is a spiritual one. That's where we get the term born again, are born of the Spirit. We've been made alive. He's awakened us. That the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, Paul prays in Ephesians, that we can see the truth. And he has authority. Jesus has authority over death to give us life. But also the second thing here is that Jesus is the judge. Right? And we see that in verse 22. He was given authority to judge us. Why? Because he's equal with the, with the Father. He's been appointed as a judge. We're going to expound to that a little bit more in verses 24 to 30 in a minute. We know that there's judgment for the believer and the unbeliever. There's judgment for the believer and what, he's, what, what he has done with what he's been given. God gave you talents and abilities. He said, don't bury them. Use them. Use them. The unbeliever... It's not about what he's done. It's about who he knows. It's about who he knows. What did you do with Jesus? For those who are doubting or maybe I put their... What are you, what are you, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because basically when you stand before God, that's the question. You're going to say, what did you do with me? It's not about whether you're bad or good. It's about whether you know Jesus. In fact, John, John in John 17 quotes Jesus' prayer. It says, this is eternal life. You know me, the only true God. Going back to relationship. Right? He's giving a defense here. And he says what? 
When we honor Jesus, we honor the Father. People say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. But they don't live in, like, to honor him. And so if they don't honor God the Father, how are they honoring God the Son? And if we don't honor God the Son, how are we honoring God the Father? Why do we worship? Why do we do the things we do? Why do we serve? Because we just want to honor God. See, the God the Father and God the Son, they are not separate. We honor both. And here's the last thought, guys, this morning as we close 24 to 30. Christ has the authority to, to give life. Christ has the authority to live life. You know, we live in a reward culture. We work hard. We get blessed. We also live in a self-help culture. Pick yourself up from your bootstraps. God only helps those who help themselves. So often people believe when they stand at the pearly gates of heaven, St. Peter will meet them there with a scale to weigh the good and the bad. With your fingers crossed, you hope you have done good more than you've done bad. But that's not the gospel. That's humanism. We only find life in Christ. Nothing else. We sing that song, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else. It's not our work. It's his work we receive. Here it is, three things about this. Christ has the authority to grant eternal life. We see that in verses 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He's speaking to the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, and he's speaking the truth in love. I believe he's doing that. He's loving his enemies right now. They want to kill him. He wants to give them life. That's what he's doing here. In fact, it says, most assuredly, 20 starts, verse 20 says, most assuredly translates verily, verily. And in the Greek, it's a, it's a Greek word that is the word amen. So be it. We, we said, everybody said amen. When we close our prayers, the word amen means so be it. That's what that word means. He's saying, I want you to share, this is a sure bet. This is an amen. You can trust this, what I'm about to share, right? This is something you can trust in. This is a God you want to honor as truthful. This is a God that will set you free. Here's the, here's the first truth, guys. Let me tell you the truth about faith, he, about hearing and believing. Here's the truth. I want to tell you about the truth about hearing and believing, because that's what he says here, right? Most assuredly, I say to he who hears my words and believes in him, hears and believes, has to go together. Faith comes by hearing the word. You're here this morning and you're hearing the word. You're hearing the truth. It's, it's activating something in you. Have you ever felt like when I'm preaching, you're saying, man, Pastor Pete's speaking right to me. I didn't go spy out on you all week and figure out what you were doing. And then I'm going to write a sermon based on your life. <laughs> Come on. No, that's the work of the Spirit. That's the work of God, right? He's doing this work and you're hearing it and you're hearing and you're listening. Man, how, how is that happening? Because God knows you more than you know yourself. You have to hear. You're hearing the word and then you got to believe the word. You're activating your hearing. You're activating into faith. And when you activate into faith, believing in that, believing is receiving it, right? Because faith comes by believing in one God, by believing in Jesus, by being the one who God sent, which is his son. He's our savior. He's our Messiah. He's the, the way, the truth, and the life. When we hear and we believe and we receive that, here's are the promises that come with it. I want you to hear the promises. Number one, you have everlasting life. We have everlasting life. There is life after death, okay? There is an afterlife. God promises that afterlife. Here's the second thing. You shall not come under judgment. You shall not come under judgment, right? You will be justified by faith. Justified means you've been acquitted of faith. You know, when you go before a judge and he puts down the hammer guilty, nah, he put his trust in me. He's been acquitted. He's been acquitted. He's been justified. He ain't seen time. He's been set free. He's covered by the blood. He's not under the judgment of God. And he went from darkness to life. That's the thing. He went from darkness to life. He was dead, but now he's alive. We were dead in our trespass, but he made us alive. There's the promises he gives us for those who hear and believe. But here's another thing that Christ did for us. Christ has authority over death. 
Christ has authority over death. Look at 25 to 27. Most assuredly, there's that word again, verily, verily, amen. Let me tell you the truth. Be assured of this. I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So I want to tell you about the truth of spiritual matters and issues. There's a spiritual resurrection. It is a time when we, those who hear their voice will come alive. We were born dead. That's why we need to be born again. Now is the time for that, he says. There's a time coming. Let me assure you of this. They're talking about spiritual matters. I'm talking about what's important spiritually. And those who respond to the sons of God's voice will live. God is speaking through his son. But Jesus resurrected from the dead. We see that in 26. Life is found in the Father and the Son. Life in himself. Just like God the Father had life, Jesus had life. And he had the ability to, to give life. And Jesus defeated death so that we could have life. We're seeing the affirming, affirming of his deity here. Only God could give life. Nobody else. I don't have life to give you. I just share the word that is the life-giving. This world is life. This word is life-giving. I'm trying to give you life by giving you the word. That's why, that, that's why the, word that, the word I'm giving you is the word that became flesh. John writes later, he who has a son has life. He who does not have a son of God does not have life. 1 John 5.12. And Jesus has been positioned as the son of man to judge. He's making the judgment call. And because Jesus has life, he has the authority to execute judgment. He is the ultimate judge. Amen. And lastly, this morning, Christ has the authority to judge. 28 to 30. Do not marvel at this. Don't be surprised by this. For the hour is coming in which all of you are in the graves will hear his voice. Come forth to those who have done good, to the resurrection of life, and to those who have done evil, to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but, will, but the will of the Father who set me. He's saying, don't be surprised about what's going to take place. Don't be caught off guard. Those in the grave will hear the trumpet blast. They will hear the voice of God. Just like Lazarus' de just like Lazarus death, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He heard the voice. And he was dead. He was made alive. He's talking about two resurrections here in verse 29, Right? The resurrection of life and the resurrection of condemnation. Guys, we're going to have a, a true resurrected body, all right? Not these old bodies that we have, not these fading bodies, not these maturing bodies, not these bodies that are, are getting old and getting gray hairs and uh, we're now wearing glasses and, you know, what used to be a six-pack is a one-pack and, and, and all the things that have come into play, right? That's, that's the cause of death. This is this body that fits this earth. We get a different body that fits the eternal. But it's still a body. And we're going to be resurrected in that body. But those who resurrected takes place, those who have done good works. Now, I want you to hear this because uh, remember I give you an illustration about the scales. He's not talking about the good works of being a good person here. Don't get it wrong. He's talking about the works here. He's not talking about works here. He's talking about the work of faith. Jesus, the next chapter, will answer this question, but, but, but the reality is he's going to say, listen, the works I'm talking about is the work that you put your trust in Jesus. In fact, that was the question asked in John chapter 6. He says, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to him, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Did you catch that? It didn't say, this is the work of God, you go to church. This is the work of God that you feed the homeless. This is the work of God that you look out for your neighbor or take care of your parents. That's not what he said. He said, this is the work of God that you believe upon him. It's the work of faith. It's the work of trust. It's the work of assurance. Out of that comes good fruit. Don't, it's not switched. Okay? But those who do evil, Jesus is speaking of, is those who don't put their trust in God. That's all that is. He says, either you're for me or you're against me. Either believe me or you don't believe me. Either you're all in or you're not all in. You're not half pregnant. You're all pregnant if you're pregnant. Right? He's, he's challenging us with this thought in the text. 
He's speaking to religious leaders here. Guys, you Sanhedrin, you religious, you should know these things. You're focusing on the good work. You're not focusing on, on the one who should be worshiping. Our faith will produce the fruit accordingly. Some will bear good fruit, others will bear bad fruit. And you'll know them by their tree. Right? An orange tree doesn't bear apples. Right? Bad tree bears bad fruit, and a good tree bears good fruit. Good tree. And so we'll know, we'll know you by your fruit. But what's the greatest fruit we're called to have? Come on. Love. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. That is the greatest fruit, fruit that we're called as a church. And lastly, Jesus is the constant union with the Father. Jesus, apart from the Father, can do nothing. He said the same of us in John 15, for apart from him, we can do nothing. Jesus is a just judge. He is all-knowing, the righteous just. I can't question his judgment call. There'll be review. There will not be a review or a challenge in the kingdom at the judgment seat. I can't not throw a challenge flag for those who watch NFL. I can't throw a challenge flag. God is a just judge. He'll make the right call. But Jesus' mission is to fulfill the Father's mission. He's not a self-sinking Messiah. This is only part one. He's going to finish the rest of the dialogue next week. Come back, part two. Same bad channel, same bad time. Here, guys, let me close with these three thoughts. Our lives may be controversial because we serve Christ. When we walk in the light and we stand in the darkest, it could be controversial. You can say you believe in God, but once you bring Jesus' name into it, all of a sudden it stirs up the water. Here's the second thing, guys. Our goal is to be fully dependent upon Christ like he was with his father. That's the intimacy that we're called to, the relationship we're called to. And lastly, guys, our mission is to share the life-giving work of Christ. Life or death. It's Jesus is the bridge to that. That's our mission. Let's pray. Father, Heavenly, thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy. Grace. I pray this morning as we've heard your word, Father, we'll see the fruit of your word. We see the evidence of those that know you and and those that don't know you, Lord. So I pray now your hand upon your people. I pray your blessings. Thank you for our mothers today that are present. Pray that you just bless them today, that you affirm who they are, Lord, through their family, through their children, Father, through your word, that, Father, they are loved and honored today. Thanks we thank you for, for them. Joining us. So bless us your morning as we close. In Jesus' name, amen. City. See you next time.